And now we take you to Evangel Church in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Luke chapter 6, verse 36 says, Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, I confess that for many years, I would read verse 38 and I would think that Jesus was simply talking about giving and receiving money. And he certainly is talking about that. But dear ones, he's actually giving us a big principle that applies to every area of our lives. In fact, he says, if you will, if you will give anything and everything you've got, it will be given back to you. I'm going to wipe my glass lens off just for a second. Let me tell you what I did. I got here this morning for a nine o'clock pastor's meeting and I realized I'd left my glasses at home. And so my wife who had a 930 meeting here with somebody, she says, I'll go home and get them. The problem is we live about 30 minutes from here up in Bradfordville. And so Kathy just walked in just before it was time for me to walk up here. Thank God for wonderful. He that finds a wife finds a good thing. Amen. She has given me blessing this morning and the Lord's going to give blessing back to her. But there's a principle that applies to every area of our lives. Look at verse 36. He says, therefore, be merciful, just as your father also is merciful. In other words, if you extend mercy to other people, then other people are going to extend mercy to you. And then he says in verse 37, judge not, you shall not be judged. Dear ones, if you go around judging other people, you know, somebody said that we, we judge ourselves by our intentions, but we judge other people by their actions. If you go around through life judging other people, then other people are going to judge you. He says, condemn not and you shall not be condemned. If you go through life condemning other people, if you go through life criticizing other people, oh, it's so easy to criticize another person until you walked in their shoes. It's so easy to criticize somebody else when you're looking from your perspective and you fail to understand their perspective. If you want to be judged, if you want to be criticized, just go through life criticizing and judging others. And Jesus said, forgive and you will be forgiven. How many of you know forgiveness is more than just speaking words of forgiveness? That's where it starts. But forgiveness involves, it involves actually tearing up the notes of indebtedness that other people owe us. You see, when we get hurt, when somebody's dead, done something, when somebody said something that really hurts us deeply inside, dear ones, we've got to forgive from our heart. We've got to forgive even as God and Christ forgave us. And how did Christ forgive you? He took your sins upon himself on the cross. And there comes a dimension that if I'm going to forgive you, if you're going to forgive me, then you're going to tear up those notes of indebtedness that I owe you and that you owe me. Amen. So if you want to receive forgiveness from other people, then you got to give forgiveness. And then Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. And then he uses four terms these four terms were taken from first century farming 
in Israel, okay? They're not terms that we use in our everyday language. He says, it'll be given to you good measure. I want you all to say the good measure. Press down. Everybody say press down. Shaken together. Everybody say shaken together. And running over will be put into your bosom for with the same measure that you use, it'll be measured back to you. Now again, most of Jesus' hearers were farmers. They were farmers or fishermen. They understood what these things mean. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. You got to remember that, that in the Old Testament, God had said, okay, you farmers, when you plow a field, I want you to plow the whole field, and I want you to put seed in the whole field. But when it comes to harvesting it, I don't want you to harvest the whole field. I want you to leave the corners of the field for the poor people. I want you to leave a portion of it for those that are just traveling and and they need food for their families. I want you to leave a portion of it for people that don't have any supper to eat so they can come and they can glean and harvest from your field. So what that means is that in any field at harvest time, you had two distinct groups of people. You had the people that were employed by the farmer and their job was was to bring in the barley, to bring in the wheat, whatever it was, to bring it in, they put it in their basket And then they would take that basket. It it didn't matter if it was completely full. They would take it over and they would dump it into into the wagon or into the barn, okay? And they would do that all day long and they would get paid at the end of the day. And as long as there was produce in the field, they would get paid because their job was to bring it in. And if they didn't have a basket, you know what they did? They wore robes back in those days and they had a, an outer robe, they had an inner robe, and then they had underwear underneath that, okay? Remember Jesus had a, had a robe that was, uh, that was uh, just just a seamless robe, actually. It was a very expensive robe and it was worn underneath his outer robe. Now when people saw his seamless robe, it didn't mean they were seeing his underwear, Okay. So what many people did, if they didn't have a basket, but they were a day laborer, they needed to work. What they would do is they would take their robe and they would lift it up and somebody else would fill it full of wheat or fill it full of barley or whatever. Jesus said, God's going to give to you good measure, pressed down, shed together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. That's where that whole idea of giving unto your bosom because you put it in your robe and now you've got it up against your chest and you're taking it. Remember, that's what, that's what Boaz did for Ruth. You remember Ruth and Naomi, they were poor people and they didn't have anything to eat. And so they went to Boaz's field. And so here's Ruth, she's harvesting in the corners of Boaz's field that he's left for poor people. And Boaz learns who he is. And he says, hey, don't just, don't just harvest there. You follow along behind my workers. And he told his workers, he says, you leave her some handfuls on purpose. Dear ones, look at me. You serve a Jesus. You serve a God who gives you handfuls on purpose. Hallelujah. By his grace and by his mercy. Well, there's this group of people out in the field that are hired to bring in the harvest. And then there's another group and they're the poor people and they're in the corners of the field and they are gathering food as well. Now the food that they gather is probably going to be their supper that night. It's probably going to be their breakfast and lunch the next day. And so while the workers that are gathering in the middle of the field that are getting paid, they're not real careful as to whether or not they're filling up their baskets. 
Boy, those people that are getting it that are poor, I want you to know that they're filling up their baskets. In fact, Nick, come and, and bring this stuff with me, with me, if you will. And I need a woman. I need a, 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 a young lady that'll, that'll help me with this. Yeah, come on. Come on. I want you to help me with this. Let's, let's just put this back here. Nick, take, yeah, take, no, I want to leave this one right here. Take those to Kathy. Yes, sir. Okay, thank you. All right, Here, here's your basket, okay? And you and your husband have just been going through some tough times. And so you know the harvest is coming in and you know this is a pretty good person and so you're gonna go to the corners of their field, right? And you're gonna, you're gonna get your supper for your family. Well, now guys, we know that they didn't have corn in first century Israel. We know corn is a North American product, right? But let's just assume this is wheat or I couldn't go buy to it. Publix didn't have any wheat or barley. OK, to, to buy. So I, here you go. I just want you to be picking from here. That's your job. You, you're getting it and you, you're getting supper for your family. You're getting all that you need. That's it. I keep on going. Well, how much does your family need? Hungry. You're hungry. OK, you're hungry. Oh, there you go. All right, now wait just a minute. Just wait just a minute. Gary, could you take this for me? Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure. Is that a good measure? Is that a good measure? I think that you could make it even a better measure. Why don't you just go ahead and pour that in there? Make it a better measure. Again, we didn't have any wheat and barley, so this is popcorn we're, we're pouring in there. Okay? There's a better measure. Come on. Is, 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 that, a, is that a full measure? Well. Let's move it over here so it doesn't go in those grates right there. Okay. Given it shall be given unto you good measure. So everybody agree this is a good measure? Okay. Good measure, press down. Let me see you press it down. Come on. Press it down. Come on, this is going to be dinner tonight. This is going to be breakfast tomorrow. This is going to be lunch. Press down. Okay. Now shaken together. That's it. Come on, shake it together. See, everybody in the first century understood these terms. Good measure, press down, shaken together, and running over. I believe it is running over this morning. <laughs> Shall men give unto your bosom. Okay, again, so everybody didn't have a basket. Some people were having to put it in their robe, and they're having to hold the robe up like this against their chest. That's what Jesus meant. Good measure, press down, shaken together, running over. Shall men give unto your bosom for the same measure that you give. It shall be measured back unto you. Good stuff. So you don't want me to run it over? Well, I, th I, don't, I don't have any more to give you, but it, it's here. Am I good? Yeah, you're good. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>
Do you get a sense of what the Lord's talking about? Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that you give, it shall be measured back unto you. Now, whatever you give in life, guys, if you go through life giving, giving hatred, guess what you're going to get back? You know, how many of you ever been around a person that I call them porcupine personalities? If you get too close, you get stuck. Been around somebody like that? Oh, man. What are they giving off? Resentment, animosity, anger, frustration. You're going to get back what you get. That should be an incentive to want to give away some love. To want to give away some acceptance, some, some forgiveness. You know, there's a law in this world called the law of reciprocity. And the law of reciprocity is based on this give and it shall be given unto you. Now, one of the things that Kathy and I love about living in the South is that people are friendly. You don't have to know somebody to strike up a conversation. I mean, you can go to the dollar store, you can go to Walmart, you can go to Publix, and you can just start talking to almost anybody, and most people are going to talk back to you. If it's other than just a, hey, how are you? And some people will engage in conversation with you. However, when we moved to Virginia, we were in Virginia Beach for 10 years. We learned that some people were like that up there. Some people were very friendly, but some people, well, they were a bit standoffish. You know, they weren't, you might say something to them, but they may not say anything back to you. Well, when we got up to the North Shore of Chicago, we learned there weren't many people that would talk to you when you went up and start talking to them. We used to go to the Jewel Osco food store, which is kind of like going to Publix or Winn-Dixie. We'd go to the Jewel Osco and, and, and we'd just start talking to people, going down the aisle and they'd look at us like we were nuts. And we just keep talking to them. Hey, how are you? And they're like, I don't know you or get away from me. I'm afraid. Maybe you're a con artist. Maybe you're going to steal from me. Maybe, maybe you're going to ask me for something. And boy, they just weren't very receptive. They weren't very, very warm. And so Kathy and I got the place where we were looking forward to our visits to Florida and to North Carolina because there we knew we could, we could go in Walmart and talk to people. We were coming back from the south when, when we were flying back up to Chicago one time. And I said, Kathy, let's, let's, let, let's make sure that we're the friendliest people. We lived in Libertyville, Illinois. I said, let's be the friendliest, most outgoing people in Libertyville, Illinois. Now, we lived at the corner of 4th and Furlong. 4th Street was kind of a busy street because it ran parallel just a couple of blocks from Milwaukee, from Milwaukee Avenue, which was Highway number 21 that went through the heart of Libertyville and the heart of a lot of the communities in, in, in that part of the world. And so a lot of, lot of people would take 4th uh, Street as a cut through. And on my day off, I was always outside in the spring and the summer and the fall when you could be outside up there. I was always outside working. That was my therapy. And I made up my mind. I said, Kathy, every time a car drives by, and there was a lot of traffic, every time a car drives by, I'm going to wave and I'm going to smile. And she said, well, Terrell, every time I take a walk around the neighborhood, I'm going to talk to every single neighbor I meet. Now, how many of you know that's not hard for Kathy? You know, <laughs> that, that, that comes easy for Kathy. 
Well, we started doing that. And I'll be honest with you, I'd be outside mowing the grass some days and people would drive by and they'd look at me like I was crazy or they'd, they'd be looking and I know what they're thinking. They're thinking, do I know him? Does he know me? And some people just ignore me. And it took about two years, but I didn't give up. I just, you, you know, here's what Kathy and I've learned. We've lived a, a lot of different places over the years, and we've learned that what makes a place worth living is the community that you develop. It's the people. It's the social relationships that, that make a, a place worth living. Listen to me, you Teen Challenge guys. I know it's cramped over there. In, 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 in those, what do you got, 38 beds over there now. That's a lot of beds in that place. I know it gets cramped, but I also know this, that if you'll be friendly and be forbearing to your, to your, to, to your other friends there in the, in the dormitory, life will be a whole lot easier because it's when somebody gets to be selfish. It gets to be when somebody gets to be difficult to get along with. That's when life gets difficult. And so it's, 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 it's the people you interact with and, and the people that you love and the people that you enjoy. That's what makes a place worth living. It took us two years. I'm still out there mowing my grass or, or raking leaves and I'm putting up my hand and I'm waving and I, I'm smiling to everybody. And I, I knew that some of those people were calling me that crazy man at fourth and furlong. You know, I remember the first person that started waving back. He was the mailman. Took me two years, but he started waving back. Because you give, and it'll be given unto you. Good measure. Press down. Let me tell you, he not only started waving to me, he started stopping and talking to me. I didn't really want to stop my work. I just wanted to wave and say hello. But he stopped and wanted to talk. And so I started going inside and get him a, a Pepsi Cola or a, or a cool one, a Mountain Dew. Amen. And, and I'd get him something to drink. And we just talk and talk and talk. He became my buddy. He became my friend. And you know who the second person was that started talking? Talking to me it was the trash man he didn't he didn't just ignore me anymore he would wave and he'd pull his truck over and I'd go get him something to drink and we would just just enjoy ourselves and before long I had a had a whole group of people that would wave to me and smile and people that would walk their dog down the sidewalk and I'd see him out there and I'd wave and they got to the place that they would wave back hallelujah folks that was a minor miracle and Kathy, bless her heart, she's never met a stranger. Kathy'd be walking around the neighborhood saying, hey, how are you? And she'd just walk up to people and just start talking, not give them a, 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 an opportunity to say, I don't want to talk to you. She'd just start making friends. Well, folks, we left there 17 years ago. But Kathy recently got a call from a, a friend in Illinois who said, where is that couple that used to live at Fourth and Furlong that talked to everybody and that waved to everybody? <laughs> Give and it shall be given unto you good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom. You know, Kathy is very outgoing and she's a whole lot like her daddy. Her daddy was a successful businessman, but he was a people person. He loved people. He'd walk into a room, and you know, the whole room would light up when he came in there. In fact, I, I remember shortly after we'd moved to Illinois, we'd gone to the Red Lobster. They were visiting us, and we went to the Red Lobster to eat, <laughs> and, and there weren't many people in there. How many of you know those Red Lobster biscuits are good? You, you like those? Do I get a witness here? <laughs> Well, well, they gave us some biscuits, and boy, we ate them, and our girls ate them fast. And, and my father-in-law said, boy, I'd like to have some more biscuits. And so he gets up, and he's got the, 
the little basket. They bring it in, and, and he's walking around. He can't seem to find a waiter or anybody to help him. And so he just walks into the kitchen, and I could hear him. I could hear him. He, he was like, Kathy, he didn't give him a chance to say, you're not supposed to be back here. He just went out there. I could hear him complimenting him, saying, oh, you are a good cook. You make the best biscuits in the world. Now, again, we're, here's this southern North Carolinian up on the North Shore of Chicago, actually this restaurant was in Vernon Hills, Illinois. And he's just talking and I'm just listening. I'm thinking he's not giving them an opportunity. He stayed back there for 15 minutes. The manager came. The assistant manager came. He made more friends than bears got aspirins that day. And I want you to know for the rest of that meal, every five minutes, they brought us more biscuits. I mean, we had biscuits coming and going. The Bible says if you're going to have friends, you got to show yourself friendly because if you give, it's going to be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, folks, it's impossible to outgive God. It's just it's just he didn't pay he didn't he doesn't pay up every Saturday night, but he pays up, and he's faithful, and we have to count him faithful. Amen. Even when we get down, we got to count him as a faithful God. He gives us richly. Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, Timothy, First Timothy chapter six verse seventeen. He says, God gives us richly all things to enjoy. But you know what? I just believe that God wants us to have the right attitude in our heart when it comes to giving and receiving with him. I think he checks out the motivation of our heart. In fact, it says in Proverbs chapter 16, it says, all of a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the, by the Lord. He's looking at our hearts because our motivation is important to him. Now, Kathy and I love to bless our children. We love to bless our grandchildren when we can. What I don't enjoy is when, especially with those grandchildren, when they just want to ask for stuff all the time. You'd go into Publix or you go into Walmart or into Target and you get that grandchild saying, I want this and I want that and I want, you know, it's amazing how they put all that kind of stuff by the checkout lines, isn't it? You know? You know, we just don't, I'm not so sure that God likes it when we get selfish. Get, getting quiet in here. Get quiet in here. You know, when, uh, when our daughter Terry was 12, Terry's, in fact, Terry and Paul, you know, they, they, they moved up to South Carolina now, moved into their house last week and getting everything done. And they ask us to give you their love. They miss you. But Terry is, her temperament's a lot like her mama. And, um, when she was about 12 years of age, I, I was going through a difficult time with our, our church was growing. It was, it was doing really good, but I was having a hard time finding staff to keep up with our growth. And um, we were also were in a building program. We had, bought, we, we had saved our money. We had, we had bought 19 acres for a million and a half dollars. And then we paid a quarter of a million dollars to, a, to an architect to, to draw up the plans. And I'm, and I'm meeting every day with the architect and, and with the builders. And I'm still having to pastor the church. And I'm still counseling. And I'm still trying to keep everything in the middle of the road. And it was just, it was just really, really st stretching for me. And the other thing is we, we had zoning issues. We, uh, 
We had taken, we had, we had rented 30,000 square feet in a, in a, it used to be a, 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 a tractor factory in Libertyville and we had taken 30,000 square feet and turned it into an interim church. And so there are financial pressures because we're paying the rent. We're also, we bought this property and we've got, we've just got dollars going out all the time. I don't have enough hours in the day. I'm counseling people at night. Uh, and, and, and Terry could see all this happening. And I got home one evening. I, I hadn't been able to mow the grass for several weeks. I just didn't have time to. And I came home one evening and lo and behold, 12 year old Terry had asked her mama how the lawnmower worked. And she had mowed the grass for me. Not only she mowed the grass, but she started, she started pruning and, and, and cleaning up around there. It looks so good. It blessed my heart because Terry chose to bless us. She had a good attitude. Well, Deuteronomy chapter 15. I want you to turn there in your Bibles, if you will. Deuteronomy chapter 15. We're cautioned about the attitude of our heart, especially when it comes to giving. And there are four attitudes that we do not want to have, okay? Let me share this with you. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 7 says, If there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor shut your hand from your poor brother. In other words, God doesn't like it, like it when we have an attitude of hardening our hearts towards others in need. Verse 8, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need whatever he needs. Now, I, I, I want to suggest to you that he's not talking about a stranger that comes up to you. He's talking about somebody that you know. Verse 9, beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart saying, the seventh year, the year of release is at hand and your eye be evil against your poor brother and you give him nothing and he cry out to the Lord against you and it becomes sin among you. Now, no, 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 note verse 9 again. Beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart saying, the seventh year, the year of release is at hand. You say, what in the world is that about? Did you know that in Israel, every seven years, debts were forgiven? Somebody say hallelujah, that'd be wonderful. <laughs> Every seven years, debts were forgiven. Every 50 years, there was a year of jubilee and ancestral property was returned. Dear ones, that was God's way of keeping inflation in check. How do you know God's a wise economist? He says, beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart. Dear ones, wicked thoughts, hard hearts. And, he, and here's the first attitude we've got, to, we, 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 we've got to overcome, and that's an attitude of selfishness. And dear ones, selfishness is always whispering to you and me, especially, especially when you think about being generous with somebody else. <laughs> this thought will come to you. You could be generous. You could sow generously towards a building fund or towards Convoy of Hope or towards this person that's got a need or that person that's got a need. But if you do, then you might not have enough to take care of yourself. Dear ones, selfishness is our enemy. How many of you love to hold a newborn baby? How many of you at least think they're pretty cool? I do. I think they're, they're pretty cool. It's interesting to me that the first words 
from a newborn are not, well, hello, mom and dad. Thank you for giving birth to me and bringing me into the world. Thank you for sacrificing your sleep and everything else so that my needs can be met. That's not the first words that a newborn baby has. The first words are, wah! Wah! I'll get in a minute. Yeah, how does, what does a newborn baby sound like? What does a newborn baby sound like? It's a squall. And you know what that baby's saying? I want to be fed now. I want to be changed now. I want to be burped now. I want your attention now. I want to be comforted now, right now. Don't you wait. Don't you take a nap right now. You take care of me. The favorite word of a two-year-old is? Okay. What would be that? There it is. No, no is a favorite word of a two-year-old, but there's another word. Mine. Mine. We've watched Sophie at three years of age with little Isabella that's one years of age. They've been staying with us for three months. And Sophie real quickly would say, no, Isabella, mine. Mine. What's the favorite word of a 22-year-old? Mine. What's the favorite word of a 42-year-old? What's the favorite word of a 62-year-old, an 82-year-old? It's mine. You say, well, I don't believe you, Pastor. Okay, well, after church, let's you and I, let's go over to Sonny's Barbecue. Let's find the biggest Bubba we can find who's sitting by himself. And let's go up to Big Bubba. And when he gets served his platter of ribs and chicken and beef, let's you and me just swoop in and take some of his ribs and see what he says. How many of you know that's a good way to lose your hand? Men do not like to share their food. But women. Have you ever been in a restaurant and you watch a group of women get served food? Man, you'd think it was a swap meet. They are, oh, I'd like some of that and I'll have some of this and some of this and the other. Man, when Kathy and I first got married, in fact, we've been married almost 44 years and it still happens. We'll go into Chick-fil-A. We'll pull into Chick-fil-A and I'm going through the drive-thru, so I speak real loudly and distinctly. I'll have a number six, four pieces of chicken, waffle fries, and a large Coke. And I turn to Kathy and say, Kathy, what do you want to eat? Oh, I'm not very hungry. I'll just have some of your chicken and fries. And I'm thinking, those are my chicken. Those are my fries. But I don't say that. I say, sweetheart, I'll be happy to order anything you want. What do you want to eat? Oh, I'll just eat some of your food. And I know there goes my fries. 
The point is this, all of us can become selfish. And apart from God's word, and apart from his Holy Spirit working in our hearts, we just want to just be just taking care of number one. Just thinking about number one. And God says, I want you to deal with that selfish, wicked heart. I don't want you just to be a taker. I want you to be a giver too. I want you to be like me. For God so loved the world that he did what? God so loved the world that he did what? He didn't give something that was worthless to him. He didn't give something that was not of value to him. He gave his only begotten son in whom he is well pleased. He gave the very, the very, the most precious thing he had to give, his son. Say it with me, for God so loved the world, he He gave. Look at the second attitude he warns us about in verse 10. He says, you shall surely give to him and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. How many of you have ever bought a big ticket item? Maybe you bought a car or you maybe bought some real estate or a home and you had buyer's remorse later. You know, the euphoria of what you did wore off, the emotions wore off, and you think, what did I do? Well, I I just think there's probably something called giver's remorse, too. The Holy Ghost can talk to your heart, and you can give a large gift. Maybe you gave it to the church, or you gave it to a friend, or whatever, and afterwards you think, oh my word, what in the world have I done? I've had that happen in my life, and it helps me just to be reminded that 100% of everything that I have belongs to God. I didn't bring anything into this world, and I'm not going to take anything out. 100% of what I have. See, it's important every single day that you and I bring ourselves under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you that not only I'm saved and headed, headed to heaven, I thank you that not only is my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but today I bring myself under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I bring my possessions under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I bring my checkbook. I bring my debit card. I bring my accounts. I bring anything and everything I've got. I am bringing it unto you today. In Jesus' mighty name. Kathy and I, over the years, we've we've given away three cars at different times in our lives. The second two that we gave away, we gave away a a, a great Toyota Corona wagon that we had bought brand new and kept serviced. It was in great shape. But God spoke to us. there There was a missionary's child here in the States, his parents were overseas, but he was here in the States and he didn't have any transportation at all. And God spoke to our hearts and said, give it to him. And so we did, we obeyed the Lord. We gave away a, a Jeep Grand Cherokee that I bought brand new and take great care of. We gave it to a missionary He'd been on the mission field and he'd come back to the States and was getting ready to do some more study and he just needed transportation, needed a whole lot of things. And God had spoken to my heart, but I thought, I'm not going to do this unless Kathy brings it up to me. And lo and behold, about three days later, Kathy comes to me and says, Terrell, I've been thinking and it seems to me that we probably should consider giving this car 
to this missionary. Now, let me hasten to add this too. We've been given two brand new, well, one almost new, and the other brand new Chrysler Town and Country Limited minivans. This was back in the 90s, back when it was cool to drive those things, and they were very, very practical. You can't outgive God. I'm, I'm telling you, if you give, it'll be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. One day a man called me and he says, Terrell, I'm getting ready. We'd felt in our heart that, 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 that the Lord wanted us to have a Chrysler minivan, but we couldn't afford one. And we'd just been praying for several years about it. And a man called me one day, he said, Terrell, he says, uh, my wife and I are getting ready to get a new car. And if you'll just meet us at the dealership, she's, my wife's going to drive our minivan over there. And we just want you to drive it off the lot because we're giving it to you guys. And we drove that for about five years. And then our church our, our, our board called me one day and said, Terrell, I want you to meet us at a dealership on a certain day at a certain time. And they gave us that brand new Chrysler Town and Country. In fact, that's what we owned when we moved here to pastor this church. That's what I moved. I actually moved down here before Kathy did and brought all the books from my library. I had that, that Town and Country was loaded up. Hallelujah. I'm just saying it's impossible to outgive God. But when we gave that Jeep Grand Cherokee to the missionary, this was the, the third car we'd given away. About a month later, one of our daughters, who didn't live here, she called us and she said, Mom and Dad, what are you doing with that Jeep? I need another car and I've been thinking that maybe I could buy that from you. Now that made my heart get heavy because I'm thinking, God, I... I just gave it away and here I've got a child that's in need and look at this scripture with me. You shall surely give to him and your heart should not be grieved. Hallelujah. There was, that's the second attitude we've got to watch against. Just, I, I'm going to be a big giver and I'm going to give because I know it's impossible to outgive you, Lord God, but I'm not going to let my heart get grieved. Verse 11, for the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor, and to your needy in your land. Verse 12, if your brother, a Hebrew man, or a Hebrew woman is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year, you shall let them go free. And when you send him away free from you, you shall not let him go away empty-handed. You shall supply him liberally. I love that. You shall supply him liberally. Everybody say liberally. From your flock, from your threshing floor, from your wine press, and from the Lord, from what the Lord your God has blessed you with, you shall bless him. Dear ones, I just believe, and here's the third attitude that we're supposed to have. We're to have a generous heart. We're to have a, a generous attitude. We've got to have the attitude that if God can get it through me, then he knows how to get it to me. Oh, it's gotten quiet in this place. If God can get it through me, then he can get it to me. Now that goes against our fallen human nature. Our fallen human nature tends to get fearful. That's the reason that the Bible says that we've got to renew our minds, that our minds are supposed to be renewed by his word. Glory to God. Hallelujah. You actually have got a new nature. Did you know that? 
You've got the nature of Jesus inside you. The moment you give your heart to Christ and you really just give your heart to Christ, no, no holds barred. You're not just bargaining with God. You're not giving him 90% of you. But when you give Jesus 100% of you, I'm telling you, his Holy Spirit comes to live inside you and, his, and Jesus will come and live inside you. And the Bible says that you become a new creature in Christ. You become a new person in Christ. And that new person in Christ is a generous person. Now your mind may not be renewed to that because your carnality and your flesh has overtaken you. But if you'll read God's word, I'm telling you that new person will start coming out and you can start believing God to take care of you and trusting God to meet your needs. Can you say amen? amen. Verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. He bought you back Therefore, I command you this thing today. Dear ones, I just want to suggest to you, number four, that we're to develop a thankful and a grateful heart. Thanksgiving will be here in, in, in another week and a half. And dear ones, every one of us have got reasons to give God thanks. Every, reason, every one of us have got reason to give God glory. You say, well, I don't really like the way my life's going. I don't like what's going on. Well, do you have breath in your lungs? Give God thanks. Hallelujah. Are you mobile? Give God thanks. Hallelujah. Do you have sight? Then give God thanks. Can you hear? Then give God thanks. Again, verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. You say, well, well, Terrell, I wasn't a slave in Egypt. No, but you used to be a slave to sin. You've been rescued out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's dear son. And because you've been rescued, then you can say, Jesus, I thank you for taking me out of darkness and bringing me into the kingdom of your dear son. Oh, Lord, I thank you, Jesus, that you have set me free and are setting me free. I thank you that you're working my life to willing to do of your good pleasure. I thank you that he who started a good work in me is going to bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus because you're a good God and you're good all the time and I give you praise and I give you glory and you're at work in ways that I can't see and Lord you know the plans you've got for me and they are plans for good and not for evil to give you a future and to give you a hope and Lord I thank you that you're supplying all of my need according to your riches and glory and not only are you supplying my need but Lord Jesus you're giving me good things because the Bible says no good thing will you withhold from those who walk uprightly before you Amen. You say, well, Terrell, are all your needs always met? They are. Do you have everything you want? Paul says, I have all in a bound. I've learned in whatever circumstance I am to be content. I've learned to do without, and I've learned to go through times of abounding. Hallelujah. You say, well, I'm just in a real position of need. Let me tell you what you need to do. You need to start giving to God because it's impossible to outgive God of your tithes and offerings. And but number two, you need to start taking authority over the devil who would try to steal, kill, and destroy, especially with your finances. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor? Well, 
Think with me. Haggai says, the gold and the silver are mine, says the Lord. Okay, how many of you believe that? The gold and silver belong to God. That's what, that's what the Bible says. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. How many of you believe that the earth is the Lord's? It is. Psalms 50 says, the cattle on a thousand hills belong to the Lord. So who did God put that stuff on the earth for? Did he put it here for sinners and unbelievers? Did he put it here for the wicked? The Bible says the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. He put it here. Listen, Adam and Eve were told to take dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every moving thing. Adam and Eve had all the gold and silver in the world. They had all the cattle in the world. They had the whole world, and yet they committed high treason, yet they rebelled against God. They were rebellious, and because of their sin, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, says that Satan became the god of this world. And all this world's goods came under his dominion. And I don't know how you pray, but the way I pray is I'll say, devil, you take your hands off my money in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm given and it's being given back to me. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Devil, you take your hands off God's money. Hebrews 1 verse 14 says that angels are ministering spirits for those, ministering spirits for those who are heirs of salvation. Not to those, but for those who are heirs of salvation. I just believe that the angels of God are dispatched by the throne of God to get what I need and to bring it to me when I need it. Man, I used to, I used to pace this sanctuary shortly after becoming the pastor because we had a pinkish looking carpet and we had pinkish orange looking pews and Things just, things look like 1960s. It just, it just, it was looking old. And I used to paste this carpet. And I would say, devil, you take your hands off the finances of this church. You take your hands off the finances of this church. And we started tithing as a church. We started giving to missions and to ministries. Because if, if God expects us as individuals to tithe, then he expects the church to as well. We started giving to the Lord. And God is my witness. We were able to pay for the, the seats you're, you're sitting in. We were able to pay. It, was, it came up to about a million and a half dollars that we paid cash for because our God's a good God. Now, we got some more building projects going on. We're going to put a, a new facade on the front of the, of, of the building, and it's going to look beautiful and an extra entrance coming into the foyer. We've got stuff to do with the roof and, and plans for an elevator and all this kind of stuff. If I thought it was up to me to bring that money in, I'd go ahead and quit today. But I'm telling you, there's a God who loves this church more than you do, more than I do, more than any of us. But he's looking for somebody that will be faithful to him and believe him for big things. I believe in him for big things for this church. I'm believing him for big things for your life. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Tell you what we're going to do. We're going to worship God with an offering. Then we're going to do some ministry. And then we're going to release you to go. Ushers, would you come? Thank God for your faithfulness in giving. You've given almost $30,000 towards the building plans 
And if, you're, if you want to give an offering to that, just please make it clearly on the memo line of your check or if you're giving online, make it really clear. Or on your tithing of envelope, just make it really clear what it's for. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord God, I thank you for your faithfulness to us. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you that you are supplying every need. God, we thank you that if we give it, it is given back to us. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. But Lord, we want to give with the right kind of motives. Lord, it's not to be selfish, and it's not just about us. Lord God, it's really about others and who they need. God, I thank you for meeting every need. There are needs in this house. God, we thank you that they're met. Lord God, we thank you that they're met. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. In Jesus' mighty name. Let's worship God with this offering. We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and His church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 1030 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.